hello. My name is Jennifer Hampstead, and on behalf of the Australian Performing Arts Teachers Association, this is the APADA podcast. I'd love to introduce our new guest today. Um, we have Francis Italiano, or Frankie, the founder and artistic director or co-artistic director of Fremantle's Sensorium Theatre, Australia's only company making live shows specifically designed for young audiences with disabilities and the very first recipient of the 2020 APADA Social Change Maker Award. Francis Italiano, welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. It's good to connect. Hi. Welcome, welcome. Um, so, so much is going on for Sensorium Theatre and I'm so happy to have you here today. We talked last year, which was um, a mm-hmm. beautiful experience. And so this year, I figure it's 10-year anniversary for Sensorium Theatre. Yeah. yeah well so, done. It is. Birthday coming up. Yeah. When is it? Double digit. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Technically, um, oh, that's a good question. Uh, it was around about July when we first had our kind of um, what were the beginnings, the first residency um, at a school. We yep. were really, really lucky. We had, um, there was a, unfortunately, no longer existence, but there was a funding initiative that was a joint partnership between Department of Education and um, Department of Arts and Culture. Mm-hmm. And back when we still had um, ministries actually referring to the arts. But um, they uh, they had this joint initiative that allowed artists to go into school for twelve weeks wow. and um, research and develop and do a project there. So that's where we went into uh, Carson Street uh, School, which is a dedicated uh, a school dedicated to kids with special needs, special learning needs. Yep. And they were kindy to twelve, year twelve. And um, we worked really closely with the teachers and the education staff there uh, and kind of developed our techniques. And really it was just a project we were exploring. And then we got to the end of it and the impact was so great and the response was so incredible. And we'd been bitten by the bug that we just sort of started from there and everything grew out of there. And I think that actually theoretically it was probably the year after where we decided we were actually a company rather than a collective um, and uh, yeah, and the association and friendship with the education sector has continued. Yeah, uh, leading up to this award from you guys <laughs> ten years later. So, that's really nice. so yes, it is a birthday year, and with any luck, if we we, we kind of uh, schedule things properly, unlike a lot of people who've had to have Zoom birthdays, um, we might actually get to celebrate. Uh, together later yeah. this year. That would be really good. Because I think yeah, you've got a yeah. lot of people waiting for to see you. Yeah, well, right now we were due to be on a national tour. Yes. So um, we would have actually been in Brisbane um, coming up soon. Uh, you know, we're, we're based in the West. Um, yes. So we do get around when we can. And, yeah, I think the first leg of the tour, which would have been happening right this minute, uh, was um, Tasmania, South Australia, Victoria. Oh, no. Um, and then up to you guys. Yeah, everyone's on hold. But the good news for us and for our friends is that um, unlike a lot of companies in the arts who've had to just sort of cancel outright, uh, we've managed to reschedule a lot of that tour for early next year. So yes. we'll be able to keep people posted and certainly we'll let you guys know so you can put out the network because um, we get obviously full booking companies. And that's in 
um, in Queensland going to be at the uh, Queensland Performing Arts Centre. Yes. Is it the Brisbane Performing Arts Centre? No, Queensland QPAC. Yep. It is Queensland. Yes. Uh, QPAC, that's right. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that uh, will, you know, uh, subject to all the sorts of things that we're all subject to at the moment. Yes. Um, it looks like we'll be up and running with that next. That'd be great to see. So, um, sensorium theatre, multi-sensory theatre for children with special needs, how did it all begin and where did you come to that idea that that was an avenue of theatre that you would want to bring to life? Um, Well, actually, there was some... We talk about our patron saint, a a colleague, a friend, um, a lovely artist called Amber Onat-Gregory. Um, she was from the UK and she first sort of put this on our radar. She, um, the UK, as in a lot of things around disability, uh, are quite progressive. Yes. Um, and, uh, um, you know, arts and culture is probably more um, generally accepted as part of the curriculum mm-hmm. in, in um, for all aged uh, young people. Um and, but also around disability generally, they're, they're quite progressive. So there were a number of companies doing this kind of work, making yes. it specifically designed for the audience. Um, but I, I hadn't really come across much of it, and it wasn't really apparent here in Australia. Yeah. And um, she was uh, she was travelling, and uh, she was based in Perth for a while, and she approached um, one of our long-standing children's theatre companies, Barking Gecko Theatre Company, um, because they had a they had a tiny little. Um, Lot of leftover funding, I think, so that they put it out there that there was about two thousand uh, dollars each for some artists to explore really any new ideas around children's theatre. Okay. And so she approached them, and they said, "Look, this is not really our core business. What you describe, it um, does sound really interesting. Uh, perhaps you should go and talk to Frankie. It yep. sounds like something he'd be in." Um, and so she came to my studio at the time and we just clicked from the word go and she got me so excited. She was at that stage as a traveller just with her backpack taking a few sensory props into um, dedicated special needs schools mm-hmm. um, and uh, and just, you know, telling stories and adding a few sensory elements uh, bring bring to life with kids. And so she turned up with a little backpack of tricks and... One of my many hats that I wear is as a designer as well. And um, mm. uh, so the, the maker, the designer, the visual artist in me got really excited. Yep. Ah, you could make whole installations and bring them into a world <laughs> of a story. And we could make, you know, life-size puppets and we could do all sorts of things. Yes. And, um, you know, with our 2000 bucks between us, um, we kind of raided my studio and I got all feathers and furs and bits and pieces and started making puppets uh, uh, there and we developed a show and, um, well, the beginnings of what was our first show, The Jump Jump Tree. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had had a background uh, for a lot of years in, I guess, community cultural development projects, community arts yeah. um, and stuff. work with uh, all sorts of groups, with um, with uh, children and mm-hmm. adults and seniors, people with disabilities and migrants and refugees and remote Aboriginal communities and you name it, somewhere along the line I'd, I'd worked with, with different groups. So yep. I was kind of used to um, 
presenting uh, experiences for people who might not have encountered before. And um, uh, that had been my background, alongside sort of mainstream um, theatre and so, uh, yeah, when we did that first showing, um, it was just amazing, the impact of the kids. And actually now that I think back and I know that world so much better, I realised, wow, it really was impactful because um, at the time uh, they were just so engaged and, and the teachers and the, and the parents, parents that were with them at the time were, were amazed at the response. Yes. And, so, yeah, that, that set up off on our path and... and um, for quite a long time, we, we operated as sort of independent, a small independent company. And then this year, we finally cracked the holy grail in, in uh, funding our, our Department of Culture as um, given us uh, organisational funding for three years, which is amazing. You know, impossible at the times and at current times, which is, um, yep. is pretty difficult. Not everyone. Um, has been as fortunate as mm-hmm. us. But I guess it's a, it's a testament to growth and the impact um, and the fact that people know this work and know its value now. Yeah. So, yes, we, we're not going away. We're here to stay. Yay! Um, so you talk about uh, that teaching artist who, who she came and helped you and inspired you. So for yourself and your other co-direct, co-artistic creative director, um, Michelle, who has inspired you along the way, not just in... Um, ah, well, that's what So who yeah. have been the mentors yeah. and, and teachers that may have helped you along that, that journey as well, not only into Sensorium but into the performing arts? Um, yeah, so, so uh, back then at the beginning... Um, there, there really wasn't any, there weren't any peers in the country, any anyone comparable for us to sort of look to, to, to work out where we're doing the right thing, how is this working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of new forms or, or new methods, there's a lot of trial and error. Um, but uh, what we did was um, we started to connect with a couple of companies uh, overseas in, in the UK um, and sort of developed an internet friendship uh, with the then artistic director of Oily Cart Theatre. Um, and if anyone's interested, they should look them up because they're an amazing company. Yep. They've been running now for about 25 years or so in, in London. And they make work for neurotypical young people, audiences, mm-hmm. and also work for, mm-hmm. for early years um, and then more specifically for, for children with disabilities. And they're a multi-sensory theatre company, um, very immersive stuff they make. Yep. And um, Tim Webb, uh, he's like the granddaddy of the form, um, and he now is retired from the company, but uh, he um, does sort of lecture around the world and uh, mentor. So we got talking to him from another company called Bamboozle in uh, Leicester, who also works in the field, and um, he's since become a good friend too. Yep. And anyway, the discussions, uh, we ended up deciding we've got to go over and spend some time with them. More of that. And um, no one here really understood what we were talking about at the mm-hmm. time, and so we ended up crowdfunded to get ourselves. Michelle, the, the co-artistic director, is actually my wife. There's a little closure there. Uh, and so the two of us took our then 
four and six, I think they were, our, our sons, um, off to London and took my sister as the nanny. Oh, and basically, uh, yeah, yeah, which was a very good idea. Um, otherwise, we would have had to lock them in a cupboard or something, which is probably not a good look. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, went off to work with these companies and I really learned a lot from them and then came back on. Also with how to sustain this because it's, it's very particular work mm-hmm. and it doesn't really fit funding models or, or even like to how to, uh, in terms of incursions, how to get schools to, back when we were doing all incursions, um, how to get schools to realise that this was actually of value to their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I guess, uh, yeah, how, how, how could we make this, this work and actually keep doing this work that we were, that we were falling in love with? Yeah. And so that was, that, that's kind of that association. And, and the really nice thing there is that, um, you know, uh, some years later when Sensorium ended up at um, the Lincoln Centre in New York, that's uh, the big umbrella festival. Yes. Uh, festival for children on the autism spectrum. Um, yes. They invited uh, Oily Cart from the UK and, and us from Australia yep. and a company called Trusty, Trusty Sidekick from New York. And we were the three kind of flagship companies all doing our shows and doing a lot of cross-fertilising together. And it was really nice to – they had a big forum and to share the stage with Tim and the two of us there, like uh, old buddy daddies of the form, kind of, um, <laughs> inspiring a whole new generation. It was great. It was yeah. whole new generation. So that that teaching goes on, and because it's partly our mission to um, feed this work uh, and, and, and open up fields, we, we do a lot of um, master classes for other artists and, and yeah. um, uh, workshops yeah. for teachers and parents and stuff like that. So um, uh, that teaching continues. So that's one side. And then the other side I want to tell you about is yes. Valkyrie because Valkyrie is that teacher for me. She's my, you know, dead poet society lady or whatever you want to think of it. But she is that archetypal educator who uh, first introduced me to drama. I always loved um, theatre uh, and I was lucky that uh, my mum particularly, you know, valued taking us to things. So we saw anything that was free, we always went along to as kids. Yep. And then sometimes she other things um, and you know high art and low art it didn't matter whether it was opera or a street school she was she back along. so I already had that bug and then came across this teacher who was the English teacher and as it happened my year eight teacher and she was this amazing woman um, well she is an amazing woman she's still around get still in contact um, but she uh just incredibly literate and a lover of, of literature and mm. theatre and poetry. And um, she got me and my best mate, who's also still a director now, and we're still friends. Um, uh, she got us really switched on to drama, and we became the drama dads at school and went and everything. And, and um, uh, she gave me a lot of Shakespeare. She taught me about staging. I remember one year being grounded or something. I wasn't allowed to go into the play. And I was really Not allowed in the play. Kind of, <laughs> I know. Well, for my mum, you know, it was some, one of many misdemeanours and she got me where it hurt. So yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't able to get involved. Um, I mean, it might have been the old kind of, you know, too much coffee and panic and football. Um, but 
anyway, I remember I couldn't do the play, and so Val convinced my mum to let me come on uh, sort of part time to do um, to do set design and prop making. Right. My very first prop I can remember um, still really well was uh, um, Macduff's head with Macbeth. <laughs> so I had to put, make a plaster cast of the you know the the year eleven boy's face and stick it on a head a wig maker's dummy and stick a broom handle through it and there he was his his, um, his head on a plaster. Oh, that's a bit full there. on. That would really get you excited, oh, I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, a little little coda to that story yep. is that we still keep contact, Val and I, over the years, and and she's um, very supportive and and. and Last year, when Kinjoyam was uh, back in my hometown in Melbourne, and we were at Melbourne, the Art Centre Melbourne, um, I rang up this uh, director friend, Michael Cantor, who was at the Central School. Yeah. He, used to, he used to run the Malthouse Theatre. He's, he's um, you know, a, uh, a director of some renown. Yes. And, um, uh, and still, you know, best. And so I rang up Michael and said, Michael, you know, let's go and see Val. Um, he said, oh, great idea. So I rang her up and she was delighted and we went around and she's, you know, 91 or something now yeah. and still bright as a button and delighted to see us. And she um, uh, she was great. She said, oh, you two look exactly the same. And we laughed, of course, because <laughs> we're both in our 50s, you know. Um, and we literally ended up, uh, you know, sitting at her feet on the floor mm. while she sat in the armchair, cup of tea and just talked about our work and what we're doing. And I did say to her, because she was saying, oh, Francis, you know, the, the work you're doing is so, it, it has such impact and value, you know, it must have real ripples. And I said, well, Val, those ripples started from the stone that you that you cast. Yeah. And those ripples continue from you to me and now out to those kids. So, you know, the applause to you. Um, uh, it was beautiful. It was such a beautiful moment. I'm, I'm just really glad we got to connect. Yeah, so there's a, a, a nice story about a teacher and the impact that so many years later, decades and decades later, it still goes on. So many of us have that in the performing arts. There's those few yeah. people that just tap that light bulb in your head and just set you off on a yeah. path and you just sort of then tumble and tumble and, and we'll always thank them and remember them for that. And that was great. So thank you. We love to hear about mentors and teachers yeah. because that's what we're all about. Um, yeah, yeah. So with your stories that you've that you've put out in your shows, um, you've got The Jub Jub Tree, Odyssey and Whoosh. How do you mm-hmm. how do you come up with the concepts and then um, there's so much learning that is in the background of what you do and education in yeah. what you've learnt yourselves in how to approach your audiences and the sensitivities of the individuals and the carers and um, so how does it all develop from the story into the actual show? I know it's going to be a big – it doesn't have to be big but um, – <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's yeah, a process, right. isn't be it? It's a process because this yeah. is something oh, yeah. that um, it's very sensitive, what you do, and caring yeah. and empathetic and um, yeah. fun at the same time. There's so much that mm, goes into mm. the background of what you do just to have that yeah. half an hour or so with those kids to send them to a new world. Yeah, well, but yeah, yeah, there is. You're right. There's a lot of layers and a lot of considerations. I mean, I would argue that any theatre for young people should mm. really be thinking about what is the experience of, 
of that audience member. Yeah. In fact, not even the theatre for young people, theatre generally. You know, yes. like really it's so disheartening, a live art form that can be so invigorating and energising when it's at its best. You think about the difference between a nicely produced album mm. and being at the live concert. Yes. Um, it's that kind of excitement and that buzz and that, that human connection. That's yeah. probably why, you know, and well-being. millennia after the Greeks, we're still doing it, you know, right? <laughs> so, yeah, and well-being. So, so there, there is obviously a, a, an impulse there, and that's why I reckon it's And also an impulse to, to, to share stories is, like, integral to the development of humankind and, and the continuation of cultures. So I think storytelling is whether you're around the campfire, uh, you know, um, uh, as cave people or whether you're, you're, I think I might have said this to you last time, you know, I always think this, that whether it's that or binge watching Netflix, it's the same impulse um, from the people who tell the stories and the people who receive them. So... um, So that's a a key thing, and I am rambling already now. But, um, okay, so I guess the thing for us, the interest for us, the the interest for us was um, how to provide that that experience um, with all the benefits that come from it, as we know, um, to a group of people who hadn't accessed that. Yeah, because whereas they might be able to go and see a a show, but it some of it might go over their head or be a little bit scary or um, they're not a part of it. Whereas with Sensorium Theatre, it's very interactive and they become a part of the story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was that was the thing. This this notion of immersive uh, theatre or interactive theatre. Um, or, or participatory performance. Mm. Like. Um, so it was a way to bring in them. And that's why, you know, look, I, we should probably explain to anyone who's not out there who's not sure, but our audiences are really small. There's only about 15 kids at a time. Yep. Um, and they come on stage with us into the set and they're literally, um, uh, you know, uh, feet away from, from the performer. Um, uh which brings with it currently a whole raft of other things, but we'll get to that later. But um, yeah, so it's very it's very intimate, and um, it's very much about connecting to the individual audience members, uh, and therefore, as you say, thinking about their specific um, sensitivities, their, their their sensory proclivities, which we all have. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, some people. Favor their, their olfactory sense. Some people are really sensitive to, to sound, etc., etc. Yes. Um, you know, I'm a real visual person. I, I was a visual artist to begin with, um, and and so, you know, my learning. We all know educators know about this too. You know, in, in terms of different people's learning preferences as well. Um, so it takes all those things into account. So when we started off at the beginning with the Jub Jub Tree, it really was. You know, you start off as as as, as uh, creatives um, with with questions that you want to explore, and mm-hmm. so for us, it really was how much narrative, how much story can we get across to an audience of kids that may include people who have cognition difficulties, or at the very least um, have uh, uh, communication issues um, uh, of their own, mm-hmm. or even in terms of their. Effective communication. 
Um, and so the idea was to use the sensory elements as access points to understanding, yes. um, certainly as access to enjoyment yep. um, and engagement, but really to understand. So in that, that, that first show was like a sort of fable and the magic jub-jub tree grows after the animal characters and the kids in the audience plant this magical seed. Yep. And um, this kooky puppet, a bit like Little Shop of Horrors, um, uh, is the actual plant and it grows from the seed that the kids have physically put in the dirt. Yeah. It grows, uh, you know, just good old-fashioned air conditioning duct painted green with a big <laughs> beautiful flower. But they can see that when it does, and they're a part of it. Yeah, yeah. And when it grows at the end of the, the show um, and it blooms, it actually opens up and it's full of, of uh, lollies and dried fruits. And this thing extends up about four metres, five metres, and so the um, puppet plant can reach out to each individual child and they get to eat the fruit of the tree that they've had to take. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in that show, it was really as simple as it's important to understand that the rain came and mm-hmm. the seeds that we planted are growing. So when the rain comes, uh, the kids literally physically get wet. Yes. Rain spatters out on them. And um, uh, and it's not high tech or anything. In that show, it really is like water spray bottles. Yep. You know, but there's a song and signing that goes with that. Build up foot and uh, the understanding was there. So mm. in that first show, that was the question, and we answered that question. Um, kids can really, really uh, follow and get caught up in the story. Swept yes. away by it. They were excited. And kids that actually, you know, even amongst the staff who were working with them every day, yeah. kids who, who the jury was out on their level of understanding, mm. um, display that they really, really got it. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if last time we talked, I told you about that girl, Hannah, but it was the real aha moment for us that understanding. I'm not sure. No, um, I don't think so. I mean, look, just really simple. This girl was about 12 and had been at the same school since kindy. And, yeah, she was really one. She was very hard to read. Her face was – she had multiple disabilities. So um, uh, she was uh, on the autism spectrum but also had some other um, uh, things going on for her. And she had a very – uh, impassive sort of face, uh, just just really really hard to read. It didn't register emotions. It didn't really respond. And yeah. She was nonverbal, yeah. so it was difficult to know with her. And um, uh, anyway, so she'd participated in our incursion back then. We used to do a week long residency in a school, logistically um, and financially, but um, we've, we've addressed other ways to have the same impact. But we would do a series of workshops, preparatory workshops. So it was really like, I guess, what schools would call scaffolded learning. It would um, uh, arrive back then with a the forest. We would set up the forest on the first day. We'd do a PD with a session with, session with the teachers, yep. um, kind of introducing the methodology. And then with all of us on the same page, we'd start the workshops over the course of the week and we'd, we'd meet each of the characters and learn their song and maybe signing about them. We'd um, uh, experience the installation. So for those kids who are a bit fearful, it might take them a couple of sessions before they were totally 
in there. Yeah. Um, and we do a bit of imaginary play and a bit of make and do, very loose kind of, you know, teaching artist model. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and then you'd get to the performance by the end of the week. So yep. by the time I got to the performance, uh, all, you know, we, we'd really tried to get as much uh, understanding and, and engagement as we could, uh, ready for them so that they would really drink up the, the performance and get into it. And anyway, so this girl, Hannah, had participated. She, you know, in her fashion, um, mm-hmm. had participated. And so we got to the show, and in the show, the greedy donkey, the donkey, a rooster, and a little old donkey um, eats the fruit of the jub-jub tree before baby. And so we have to wait, all of us, animals, and we all have to wait even longer for this fruit, magical fruit to ripen for the donkey silliness. And um, so we had a sort of silly part in it where uh, the other animals um, try to work out who, who stole the leaves from the jub-jub tree. And it really is the old cookie stuff, yep. you know. Um, but what we do at that point, or what we do in the show, is, is sort of go around to some of the kids and, you know, was it Jen? Jen, did you steal the leaves? No. Oh, it wasn't Jen. Yep. And we got to Hannah and, you know, was it Hannah stole the leaves? And this girl... She just stood up in her in her seat. She looked around at all of us at the adults, like really offended and how dare you accuse <laughs> that glared at us all and strode across the stage and just pointed directly at Donkey and gave us all this glare like, you know, Donkey did it. How dare you accuse me? Yep. And all these people's doors just rocked. Just shut. They're all like, oh, my God, not only is she understanding everything, she's totally in the story. She's there yes. with us. Yeah. And she knows what's going on. And that actually had this effect of actually changing their whole individual learning plan for her and everything because yeah. there was an insight yeah. that there was another way to reach this. And surprise, surprise for your audience, it came from yeah. You know, like, so it was really nice to work with teachers back then yep. and, and, and really get them to understand that the arts were a different access pathway to, to reach individuals and um, and uh, and to maybe use, I mean, they use sensory techniques mm. in, in, in that world, yep. um, but they're often much more with a sort of OT kind of focus, the occupational therapy or, or a kind of, uh, or, or very much, yeah, therapeutic or educational imperative, but not in that way of actually uh, combining them with the imagination. Mm. You know, mm. So, so... So that was the aha moment and it came back in that first show. And then yeah. subsequently the other shows, we explore different ideas. Um, so, you probably get you know, a lot of um, aha moments since then and yeah. continue on. It's just going to be a never-ending aha moment when you see an, a yeah. new recognition of something in somebody that it just reaffirms yeah. that you're on the right path. Yeah. And also what it does is, is kind of like um, – get people to realise that perhaps what they thought were closed mm. avenues, um, that actually that, that's not necessarily the case. So even with parents, and, you know, big shout-out and blessings to any parent or a child with, with additional needs because it is hard work. Mm. And even parents going, oh, my God, I didn't realise he was into that or yes. that he would respond to that. And so they will come and there's all kinds of, you know, technical terms so they'll say oh no don't give anything to freddie freddie is tactile defensive Mm -hmm. you know he doesn't want to touch anything and we're saying well in the context of a game which is what it is and we're all playing 
then he might respond differently. Let's just see. And sure enough, I mean, they, they would, again, with Job Job, I remember that, you know, the OTs had come along and they'd be going, oh my God, I've been working, you know, even with a kid with a physical disability. I've been yep. working with this kid with cerebral palsy for, you know, six months trying to get him to extend his arm. Mm-hmm. And you're here for a week and he's packing your animal puppet. And we're saying, well, <laughs> different motivators. Yep. You know, the, the analogy I always use, you know, we haven't got visuals on this one, so people can't see, but you know, especially with a few COVID kilos. Um, I'm not really a gym bunny type, right? So but the, the analogy I use is I don't like going to a gym and yeah. just doing circuits. really boring and mm-hmm. not fun for me. But I'm really happy to play netball with my friends and or yeah. play out. In the context of that, gardening or whatever, if it's got enjoyment and there's a motivator there for me, I will do all sorts of things that yeah. you would think – I would be um, gym averse, <laughs> you know. So it, it, it's the same. It's the same impulse, yes. you know. And and I think um, that has opened up a lot of pathways. Again, as educators, you guys know, you know, you look at the early curriculum, the early years curriculum, and and probably people have been around long enough to see the swings backwards and forwards in terms mm. of where play fits um, yeah. in in education. But, you know, I'm sorry, regardless of what the curriculum's doing or whatever nap plan you're putting on four-year-olds or whatever, I just think that, you know, it's not rocket science. Play and imagination is a wonderful avenue to learn and and explore. And it's certainly true with these kids. I mean, a lot of these kids, you know, even just a collective experience is new to them. So developmentally, kids who are still at that level of parallel play um, and not really used to doing things collectively. So playing so next to each have, other like a little like little kids yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, like early kids. You know, if you think back to Piaget and whatever, it's one of the, the, the early steps of, 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 of childhood development is that progression from playing alongside each other yeah. um, in your own little game and then to actually interacting with each other. And what happens in these audiences is, collective experience um, and again that's something that those of us who love the performing arts that's part of the buzz too it's that communion together of mm. experiencing this thing very exciting and it, and it is better than sitting at home and watching it online in the end it really is yeah. you know, that is the, the value yeah. of, of live um, and so so that's also a really big one for, for a lot of our audiences to be, be doing something together and to feel part of a group mm. and um, again that was something that in terms of sort of if you really want to look at that social outcome um, that w- that was fed to us from by teachers and, and parents saying you know I want my I want my child to to, to, to learn or to, or to have that experience and I guess that's the thing that the looking, you know, back to your original question after all my rambling, but in terms of the impetus of the show, is is looking at something like that. So for the subsequent show with Odyssey, one of the big things was that the feedback we've got from the circle of care around the children mm. was um, that, uh, you know, I'd really love, we'd really love you to explore friendship. Mm. You know, friendship is a is an abstract concept to yeah. to our kids. And so the two key characters in Odyssey are Crab, Crab and, and Turtle. Turtle. Yeah. 
issues with crab and turtle. Who go? Who I believe you've met? Have you met crab and turtle? Have, did you, I have. Did you see them? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, the good old crab and turtle are the are the, are the main protagonists of Odyssey, and uh, together with the kids, um, they go on a big uh, adventure to the bottom of the ocean yeah. uh, for a surprise. It starts off together with the kids when they're beach combing on our beach. Um, they find a, a message in a bottle, biting them there, and so off we go. There's there's our, our through line to the story, and. Um, it's very much about their partnership and then mm. their partnership with the kids. Yep. Together we, we, we achieve this, this goal. Yep. Um, so that was that was a big impetus for that. And the other one with that one too was also looking at, okay, we, we'd established sensory access points worked in terms of understanding and enjoyment, yeah. engagement. Um, but uh, with that one we also want to see could we give – the sense of a physical journey of, a, of, a, of actually travelling together and mm. particularly for some kids with mobility issues yeah. that uh, oh. might not be able to do that normally um, or even kids for, for whom their, their um, additional needs um, just meant getting through the day, mm. you know. So, um, and Again, we went, we went to old school old school theatre techniques. It was kind of like, you know, Odyssey, it's almost like Borderville where, you know, the people walk on the spot and the scenery moves past them. Yeah. In Odyssey, the installation of set, you might remember, it, it changes several times as the audience goes deeper and deeper. And they go under, under the uh, sea and into the jellyfish. Under the sea. Yep, you remember the jellyfish, yep. Um, a whole lot of earworm songs along the way uh, that get stuck in your head. <laughs> Um, and, um, yeah, so that was, that, that was the, the, the starting from there. Um, uh, you, you also start to think, as you're saying, thinking about the needs of, of the kids. You're looking at physical needs, access needs. Um, uh, you're also looking at um, maximising understanding. So that's, that's uh, thinking about language and how you reinforce the language um, and then all the way down through to the performance style and sensitivity of, of, of performance. Just kind of why, um, you know, we can't just get just another jobbing actor in to do our shows. You yeah. know, there are plenty of skilled actors around, performers, but you need to have a whole sort of second set of, of, of skills, which is about that one-on-one interaction that happens in our shows. You know, more and more we've been working with, you know, the terminology is uh, inclusive or diverse audiences. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea that if you think about, like, in these days in, in town planning and architecture, we talk about universal design. So the idea that if it's really accessible, it should be accessible to everybody. Yep. So that you may not yeah. come in with any additional needs and you can get the benefit of this museum or this public space. Yep. Um, and you might come in with particular needs physical, educational, whatever it might be, and you can also access this thing. So that, that, that concept of universal access means that with Bush, the spaceship show particularly, mm. uh, we, we've sort of designed it in such a way that within the actual framework of the show, it can sort of scale up or down depending on you, the individual, so that um, uh, we can have audiences that include neurotypical mainstream kids as well as kids with um, And often we get asked, why is this not available to, you know, my mainstream 
children. Mm. And really our argument is a whole lot already catering for that audience. Yep. Um, where there's nothing, as you said earlier, there's nothing, even with the best of intentions, uh, a lot of the other stuff is just not really geared towards, <coughs> excuse me, um, the best ways of engaging them and, yeah. and including them. And so for that reason, we sort of prioritise our, um, our audience disabilities. But um, this one particularly, because what, what's really great about it is when it's not a school group coming, when it's just a, a general public show, mm-hmm. individuals are booked. It means that um, parents of children with disabilities can actually bring all their kids along to the same activity. Yeah. So the siblings without additional needs can enjoy it as much as uh, the sibling with, with yep. And that, now people don't often think about this, but that's actually quite a rare thing for a family that is catering to kids with me. That's because then the whole family to, can do something yeah, together and enjoy whole, it together, experience it together. But you also um, exactly. had some adult audiences when you went on your regional tour. Oh, yeah. And so how was yeah, that? yeah. Well, that was great. Um, it was uh, a lot of fun. They were really receptive and into it. Um, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of discussion in um, the world of, of education and disability around age appropriate. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in terms of human rights and, and respect that is not actually uh, treating um, uh, older kids uh, as, yeah. as, as primary school kids or, or, for that matter, adults as children. Mm. Um, and so, you know, and so we often get people inquiring, you know, is this appropriate for my 17-year-old child? Mm. Um, so these days what we what we often put in our, in our marketing material is we'll talk about a learning age appropriateness because yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that's obviously variable on, depending on the individual. And um, but what we say when we've had people asking about, you know, um, someone that they care for or, or, or it's normally a caring situation um, for adults is, uh, look, you know, I love going to Pixar film. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love going to Disney. I, you know, I like Toy Story or whatever. Um, so if you think they would enjoy it for that, yeah. then bring them along. Um, what we do is you, you, you change the tone how you perform. So yeah. if we've got sort of seconds along, um, then we're just that little bit looser and hipper with yeah. them, I guess, and we don't patronise <laughs> yeah. patronize them. And it's about how, how you pitch things. Um, and, you know, one group of adults came, we were in Wagga Wagga, mm. and um, there's a, an old friend there who was running a drama group for adults with disabilities. Yep. And there was some glitch in the programming and the school wasn't able to come on the day that was coming. Yep. It's a shame if, you know, we come all this way and you really don't want to have any performances empty because, you know, it's small audiences, it shouldn't be hard to fill them and mm. let's get them in. And, um, but it was like, you know, 11th hour notice that we got the school so um, I rang my friend, uh, Fernando. I rang up Fernando and I said, um, hey, uh, listen, that mob, are you, are, you at, are you with them today? He said, we are. And I said, have you got a bus? He said, yeah. I said, bring them down. <laughs> and they came. And because they were from a drama group, yeah. and some of them had really quite high needs, high support needs, um, 
but they were super receptive and they loved it. They yeah. just sang along, they got really involved, they took on characters and, and really got there. So, you know, it is at its best universal. Mm. Um, and, and I guess the thing for us also is, you know, if you're talking about thinking of what is, because the, the, the cast, the actors get really annoyed with me because I'm always banging on about what is that child's experience. Yeah. Because you can have the best dramatic ideas or theatrical devices going, but if they're not playing to your audience or they're not reading or they're not enjoying them or they're not understanding them, then you just got to chuck it out um, and sacrifice it. And indeed, in, in the performing of the stuff, as an artist, you have to kind of let go of some of the preciousness. Yep. You do all this work to have that beautiful theatrical moment, that kind of, ah, oh, wonder, and blah, blah, blah. But if in that moment there's a kid who's decided to sort of, you know, climb my back and wants to be <laughs> piggybacked while I'm performing, yep. then I have to accommodate that performer. I mean, it's not chaos, but we talk about it as jazz. Yep. You know, there is a score, there is a there is a script, there's a through line, and then we have to be prepared to riff around that in a specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a it's not a free for all. There is structure, but the structure is to give you a framework within which to connect to your individual audience members. And, and remember that, that way, experience um, for that person. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that way everybody does have their experience um, yeah. of the show in a way that works for them, and sometimes it's as simple as, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a young person with um, a physical disability that means I I have to sit in my wheelchair in a certain way and I'm I'm facing a certain way, or I'm a child with uh, with vision impairment and I favour my left eye, then. As a performer, it's important for me to, to, to recognise that and then adjust accordingly. Because there's no use me wagging my puppet around somewhere where you can't see. Mm-hmm. Or, or And we will physically, if you know, if there's someone in a wheel, like in Odyssey, it starts off on sort of a gold satin ripples foam beach and the kids sit in the sand dunes, which are, which are bean bags. Yep. And if they are in chairs, then, then we take them out of the, the, the chairs into the bean bags. And sometimes, you know, you'd be mid-show and you're just thinking, that kid slipped down and is now sort of facing the corner. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to physically, you know, shuffle along that beanbag so that he can see better because I would be really pissed off if I was sitting in an audience and couldn't move myself and someone had passed me facing the wrong way. Yeah. Just be like, you know, grumpy. So um, uh, <laughs> those things... Those things come into play, and, and actually, to that end, we do we do often, particularly with school groups, but parents can do this too. Is we get a little mini profile of our kids before they come. Right. Um, so it might just be some basics. Are there yeah. any additional needs yeah. of your child, like that vision impairment? I might not perform on the show. I picked up that Jen's better out of her right eye, but if if Jen's mum has let me know that, then I can make sure she. Right place and perform accordingly. Yeah. Um, and uh, those things just mean that again, that the, the skill level that's required of the performers is such that they they need to uh, keep that stuff in mind as they're performing, and also then just respond along the way. Yeah. If I see that you know, in uh, Odyssey, one of the things we do is go uh, exploring the rock pool, and um, and we've got this sort of clamshells. 
feel water and 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 uh, sea anemones and whatever in them. Not real sea anemones. <laughs> Um, if I know that Jen is terrified of touching water, mm. um, and I know that beforehand, then I'm not going to, you know, really work at getting you to interact that. I might do it for you. I might sit and play at the rock pool in front of you yep. as a performer. And that way you get the experience, but I'm not going to freak you out. Yeah. That's not our intention. So you do, you know? you, you so, do pre-preparedness for yourself and your artist as well as, the kids that are coming to watch the shows and the people that are coming to watch the shows? Yeah, where possible. I mean, yeah. it's not always the case, but, you know, best case scenario and most often uh, that's, that's how it works and that also contributes to the yeah. yeah. I have been raving on, haven't I? Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. So um, you're supporting the hashtag Create Australia's Future at the moment where... Um, we're trying to remind local government to think of the arts um, when they're handing out their stimulus packages and things. But um, all yep. coronavirus things aside, what are you most grateful for at this time? Wow. Um, look, you know, on a basic level, as a, as a creative, um, Sounds corny, but it's always a blessing to be able to do what you love and 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 you know find a, a remuneration to survive, you yeah. know. Um, uh, and you know, I'm sure there are a number of, of your listeners that um, teaches a way to enable them to keep doing that because mm-hmm. you know it's hard to survive in a in a in a society that doesn't necessarily value or, or kind of relies on the fact that you love that, that thing. Yep. Um, love don't pay the rent, they say. Um, <laughs> I need employment uh, for uh, enjoyment. So, indeed, indeed. So um, uh, so in that sense, I do feel really lucky that we can continue. Um, yep. There are some great uh, art companies doing uh, theatre and education and theatre for young people and theatre with young people and, that are not as fortunate. Even before, before coronavirus, um, uh, constant cuts and whipping away of, of budgets yep. um, have meant mm-hmm. that there are companies um, and, and really good ones that have gone under or who are very um, hamstrung at the moment. Mm. So we're really lucky that we that we can continue at this point. Um and obviously, there's a there's a lot of reinvention and and rethinking of, of how we can continue. But just the fact that that, that we can continue, I, I just feel really about that. And um, and that you know we have we have um we have relationships now with a number of philanthropic supporters who really kind of value what we do and get it. Um, and that's been really helpful to us. Um, ah, lots of things to be grateful for. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, we are able to kind of forge our way into the cultural landscape because, as I said at the beginning, it was just something that's a bit alien and, mm. and it didn't fit existing models. You know, just you think about the teachers organising excursions or incursions, uh, the idea of delivering something to just 15 kids and yeah. uh, that might take four or five artists and is not just a pop-up 
thing, you know, out of my suitcase. It involved the whole installation and all that sort of stuff. That yep. we, we stuck to our guards and said, no, you can't do this for 200 kids at a time. Mm. Work for them. Or, no, I can't just do this with one or two artists because I can't serve the audience. So yep. All those things, all those kind of strictures that would make it um, virtually impossible to, to deliver this sort of stuff, um, the, the fact that we've kind of um, stuck to our guns and now got to a point where, where people not only accept what we do but support it and encourage it. And, um, and you know, we're getting kids into theatres who just didn't access them. Yeah. And that, that's great. That's great for – I mean, that's just, this is like you know, an audience of, of parents even who've never even considered those kinds of art options, those yep. cultural options for their kids. Because they just figured, oh, it's not for me. Yeah. Um, or it's not for my child. Um, and again, you think about the, or your listenership. You know, imagine if Val Creek, my teacher, had never given me those experiences. Imagine all of us doing what we do because we have some passion for it mm. to some degree. Uh, if we'd been denied accessing that passion, that would just be um, unjust. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful that that. We, we can continue and we are doing it. And, um, you yeah, know, it's lucky in life, isn't it, to do things that you love doing. Yep. So, yeah. Lovely. Thank you very much, <laughs> Francis. Thank you for coming and talking to us. Once again, we always love supporting Sensorium Theatre and congratulations on your many accolades this year. And here's to many Thank more. Thank I just want to say thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us today. And to keep up with Sensorium, hop on to their Facebook page. From there, you can get onto the website. You can look at the digital app, download it, have a play, get to know the characters, um, get to know their work, play with crab and turtle, meet um, donkey and goat, <laughs> and go on a spaceship journey and crash land on a planet and do some exciting things. Um, Sensorium <laughs> Theatre, APADA's 2020 Social Change Makers. Uh, a few announcements as we wrap up today's session. We don't want to hug them, hog the mic, so if you have an idea, topic or conversation that you'd like to share, we're all ears, contact us through the APADA website, apada.com.au. If you already remember, just hop on uh, your member dashboard and um, give us a hoy. Thank you. And say support the arts to your local member for me.